Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. That's from Yes. Yes, you're on Yes Kick. I think they are a Swedish band. Yeah, you're telling me. I, I know ABBA is. That's why you naturally were drawn to... Oh, ABBA, that's what I'm thinking of. It's not Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not a huge ABBA fan. You're not a huge ABBA fan? Okay. Uh, not really. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. This the, is Father Mike and Father John. Yep, good to be with you. Round two here. Getting into the late hours of the evening, and I got a 5.30 uh, wake up, so we, I'm going to do my best to kind of keep this one short. But uh, Well, before you do, I just want to sing the praises of your house. Oh, yeah? You learn something new every day when you come to St. Joseph's. This guy was teaching me how to train a parrot by giving it hot chilies. Oh, yeah? Said, yeah. <laughs> Stephen was telling me that's the best way to do it. You give them hot chilies, it gets their tongue rolling, oh, and yeah. then you teach them words. It, that's crazy. I've never heard anything like that, <laughs> but I love it. And I wish, wish I had a parrot here to try it on. Myanmar sounds like a magical place. Oh, yeah. And uh, I hope to go there. I have uh, Last year, I had two guys from Myanmar in my house. This year, one, Stephen Natong, uh, who's undefeated in everything. I've really? never seen somebody win at everything, including Pictionary last night. Pictionary? Yeah. Yeah, I was never terribly talented at Pictionary. What else does he win? Everything. We're playing like mini golf, playing poker. Just the guy, he just <laughs> wins. I think Greg Peterson is like that. I would like to see him square off with Father Greg Peterson Ooh, to see yeah. who can win. Like the, that's like the you know. You could have any contest. The game of champions. Yeah, that's axe it. throwing or something. axe throwing. Uh, yeah, this guy he's unbelievable. Um, he's funny, but yeah, we got on the parrot topic because they swear that this is real in Myanmar, where you have a parrot and a monkey. <laughs> and they run a they run a general store. Like you walk in, you say what you want. The parrot repeats it to the monkey. The monkey goes and grabs it, brings it back, there and it I, apparently the parrot then you pay for. It. I don't know how that works. You know, this is Apple ing- Pay genius. Yeah, uh, yeah. So well, I got to get some pets. Everybody's into uh, you know in the West we're all into like uh, you know AI and you got to have you know. All these machines, they're like, no, nah, just go back to the ant, let the animals run it. <laughs> That's right. They love it. It's you just crazy. Get your parrot and your monkey. I yeah. think monkeys could really be trained to do a lot of things. Yeah. They're, that's an impressive animal. A lot of fun, too. They're just a funny beast. Have you ever watched? But he did tell me they're messy, so you don't want them around. Monkeys? Yeah, the monkeys. Well, my one experience with monkeys was with you uh, on Gibraltar. Gibraltar. And those things were freaky. Yeah, because they, they were very aggressive. They're pickpockets. They they would take anything. They'd take your wallet right out of your pocket. And uh, <laughs> you you were a bit too chummy, not surprisingly. I like the monkeys. I was a bit uh, bit nervous. There were signs all over the place. They say, guard against the monkeys. Yeah, be careful of the monkeys. Don't show them your cell phone. Yep. They love cell phones. Yep. Oh, man. They were creepy, those monkeys <laughs> on Gibraltar. No thanks. But that was a wild, that was a wild ride. We spent a Thanksgiving down there in Morocco right. and Gibraltar, one of who our... was it, Lebsock? Who was it? Clockman. Clockman. Yeah. Clockman oh, and man. Coop, maybe? Yeah, Coop. Yeah. I think we were going to go to Turkey, but uh, that fell through because of instability, cultural instability, and Debbie Coop, God bless her, saying, we did go- hey. Oh, that's right. Then we went the other way. We went to Morocco. But we it's did like, go to that's Morocco. That's real smart. I know. That was great. That was a fun that trip. That was a fun trip. You almost got shanked. Yep. Or you almost shanked a guy. I can't remember. It was I both. think we 
almost shanked each other. Yeah, this guy was following us through the streets of Morocco and uh, would not leave us alone. And Evan Coop is like six seven, so he just like takes off. He can walk at a pace that I don't think I could run yeah, at. You know, he's, yeah. So right. he's gone, and this guy is bothering us. And finally, I just like lost it on him, and I was because it was just so like aggressive. And uh, and he looked at me. You remember what he said? Yeah. Do you want to kill me? Do you want to kill me? It's like no, just stop following <laughs> just, us. I don't want to buy your stuff. Yeah, that was uh, that was a what? Yeah, wild experience. And we ate the Jane, J- John Dory. John Dory. Yep. Yep. That at, was one at of the pillars of Hercules. Yeah. That's the end of the Mediterranean. Yep. The end of uh, that was fun. I liked that adventure. That was when um, you were designated the task of recreation. <laughs> oh no! You hated that. You were like, I do not want to be done. And we had very little plan. I remember walking through the streets. It was pouring rain, and you had this like tiny little map, and we were trying to find this <laughs> restaurant that you knew about, and uh, we were like totally oh, no. despairing, and you're just trying to speak French to people. And uh, and then all of a sudden, you got us there. Oh, that was in Morocco. Remember that? That and was we, a cool that was, restaurant. That was one of the best, yes. craziest, and amazing meals ever. That did turn out well. That was, uh, yeah. And we got nicknames or something. We all got nicknames, yep. Oh, that was crazy. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I forget what yours was. I certainly remember mine because it was completely unimpressive. I think he named me Mr. Mr. The professor. Somebody was a professor. Clockman was the professor. <laughs> Coop was the big boss. <laughs> the big boss. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Good times. Good times. So, well, let's jump into it here, Michele, because uh, we got night prayer coming up, and uh, and then it's time for bed. Um Whereas my mom would say, the boudoir, we were laughing. My brother started a text stream in our family about, he's like, can we just like share some of the really random weird things that mom says, you know? And that's like, <laughs> like chili conch. Chili conch, yeah. And when, when it's cold outside, it's chili conch out there, boys, you know? Uh, What's the know. boudoir? It's just going to bed. Go to the boudoir. <laughs> okay. Yep. Oh, Mary. She's a funny lady. So, okay, so... um I am holding in my hands the Brothers Karamazov by Fedor Dostoevsky and uh, had an ambitious plan tonight of uh, going through the story of, or really the poem called The Grand Inquisitor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, I think the heart of the book is um, The Grand Inquisitor and then right after that is the uh, homilies of Father Zosima who's kind of the wisdom figure and I think that Zosima is the response to the Grand Inquisitor, which is laid out by one of the Karamazov brothers named Ivan. Yeah. All right. So right. tell me about your uh, familiarity. Have you read Brothers K? I have. It's been a very long time. I always wanted to identify with Alyosha and ended up always being Ivan. Yeah. Because he's like cynical. He's um, uh, like depressed. I remember he said something about wanting to. God gave put me on this train. I want to give my ticket back. Do you remember that something about yeah, that? Yeah, he's he's kind of the sad sap. And then there's that strong man, older brother. What's his name? Dimitri. Dimitri. Yeah. Um, now I don't. I don't really remember. I remember this one part with Grushenka, and there's. Oh yeah. Um, or there's a lot about Grushenka. What was the thing about the woman who has the onion and? She could pull somebody out of, or she could be pulled out of hell. Oh yeah, by that onion, yeah. But then it is too small or rips apart. I can't remember. Right. 
Now, uh, you can see, I don't remember the, no, it's good. the story too well. Well, it's a hard uh, book to read. And for those of you who have read it, uh, people are listening to this, they either love it or they hate it. And a lot of people don't finish Brothers Karamazov. Oh, really? Not out of like inability to read long books, just because it's um, it doesn't read like... Like the plot doesn't drive yeah. Brothers Karamazov. It's, uh, it's ideas. And he's working with some like really... Deep idea. I felt the same thing when I read The Idiot. Crime and Punishment would be different. That would be more like... Um, it, it was written in serial installments, and it feels like that. It's an exciting read. Yeah. Like, and he's still doing some really yeah. interesting stuff it there stays, as well. It stays moving. Stays moving. Um, That's true. The Idiot is more like a character drama. Right. Circling around these the, the anecdotes about the characters. Yeah. So yeah, so you got the three. Um, that's funny. You are kind of a blend of Alyosha and Ivan, and I think I'm probably a blend of uh, Dimitri and Fedor, uh, the dad and the oldest brother, oh, who yeah. are just total interesting characters. But um, so when when the Grand Inquisitor story comes up, what's yep. the what's the context? What's happening in the story, and why why does the story come up? Yeah. So um, Alyosha and Ivan are sitting in a tavern. And they're they're talking um, and just kind of whatever kind of if you remember early in the story, Alyosha was in the monastery a bit. That's where he knew Father Zosima, who's kind of his mentor. Um, and uh, and then his brother Ivan is this very interesting character. Um, and a lot of the story plays around their relationship and the way that they're dealing with the problems, not just in the family, but just in human nature, in the world, yeah, yeah, and in, in the world and human nature. And uh, so they're they're sitting in uh, again in this tavern, and um, and Ivan says, "I want to read you a poem that I've written called the Grand Inquisitor." Okay. And so uh, the poem begins uh, in the 15th century uh, in Seville, in uh, in Spain, kind of at the height of kind of you know this Catholic time, and uh, the story goes that the Grand Inquisitor, uh, this old um, Spanish cardinal uh, basically runs the t- runs the city, runs the town, runs the people, everything, and then Christ appears. He comes and he uh, starts healing and performing miracles. And uh, the story, the poem of the Grand Inquisitor, is the relationship between um, the conversation between Christ and this Grand Inquisitor. And the Inquisitor has put him on trial. Yeah, or he's on trial. Right, he's okay. gonna yeah. He's going to uh, have him killed, and uh, it's the story of of how that plays out. the The middle of the kind of the heart of this, and the reason I'm thinking about this tonight is because I'm teaching a class called Theological Anthropology, which is just the study of uh, humanity in Christ. What does that look like? And I start the class with uh, this story. Have the guys read uh, Dostoevsky and uh, the Brothers Karamazov, and the reason for that is I think. At the heart of this story, this interplay, is the question of freedom. Freedom as it relates to the Christian claim. Freedom as it relates to uh, revelation, to what Christianity is, is about. But what's complicated about the Grand Inquisitor is that he is expressing something. So Ivan is so interesting because Ivan's not just the bad guy. Ivan is identifying that freedom is a problem for man. 
So Dostoevsky is writing this in the late 19th century. Uh, Dostoevsky with Kierkegaard are the two great prophets uh, who are seeing that the modern world is collapsing, that Christianity, the way it's been lived in the modern world, has changed. It's become kind of rationalized. It's become kind of bourgeois. Uh, and it's and it's collapsed. It's moving towards its demise. Um, you could throw Nietzsche in there as another kind of prophet, nineteenth-century prophet. And these guys are dealing with and they're seeing something that's coming in the future, which does yeah. happen in the twentieth century. And that's why they're so. I think they're so powerful, uh, even today, to read. I, I just find that those. Well, and they're all seeing. Yeah, the the religion as it's been falling apart and they have of course different responses Nietzsche's declares the death of God like it's all over mm-hmm. and he seems somewhat content about that it's it's almost like I mean he didn't take to religion in the end he I think he killed himself right right but he um, he saw it as a big power mechanism within within the world and he saw that that the world had kind of, with the Enlightenment and modernity, had outgrown religion. And I think he, he still had this sort of um, allowed for it to be kind of the bread and circus of humanity, almost like in Plato's Republic. Like, well, religion is, is great because it occupies people's minds and gives them hope and stuff like that, but it's not real. And mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter if you're above it. And then you had Kierkegaard, um, who is really straining to try to articulate religion in a way that will still uh, exist in into modernity, um, but recognizes the crisis. And then, uh, and he's he's very rational about the way he goes about it. You know, I mean, Kierkegaard is a philosopher, and he's trying to uh, make sense of things through a philosophical lens. And one thing I like about Dostoevsky is he is a profound thinker and a philosopher of, of, of sorts. But he's like a deeper artist as well. He's just like yeah. approaches the world with a, this artistic mind and tries to, uh, and, and that kind of deep feeling of human nature and the best and the worst and this shows up in all of his, in his all of his writing, really. Yeah, and so I would agree with you. Nietzsche is making a critique that's worth paying attention to. You know, we kind of just kind of put him off as like, oh, he's a bad guy, you know? But he's saying something that's true. Um, Walker Percy talks about Marx, Nietzsche, and Freud, and he calls them lovers of humanity. They're lovers of mankind. They, they, but there's something really destructive in the conclusions they come to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's. It, I think it's just worth just kind of having a little more reverence than we oftentimes do with with Nietzsche, who is one of the main architects of the world we're living in, which is really destructive and and in many ways uh, anti-Christian. So not like condoning it, but just saying, let's pay attention to it. But yeah, you got this philosopher Kierkegaard, you've got this artist in Dostoevsky um, who are presenting uh, the Christian life. Uh, in light of this, all three of them, including Nietzsche, uh, could be described as existentialists. Right. So they're re- they're reacting to um, the idealism that marks the end of the modern period. What is idealism? Uh, basically, kind of humanity gets subsumed into ideas, into systems. You think about Hegel and these guys, and it's just everything is just spirit and history and thought and ideas, and it's not about existence and so they're trying to kind of 
they're kind of re-existentialized Christianity as mm-hmm. a response to modernity, which is collapsing. Yeah. So uh, the story can, begins, and um, the uh, um, Grand Inquisitor says to Christ, why then have you come to interfere with us? Okay, and Christ, uh, Jesus doesn't say anything during this poem. He just listens. Oh, yeah. Um, and he says, he continues here, I'm just going to kind of give a couple of uh, yeah, yeah. words here. Um, the Grand Inquisitor goes after Christ for loving man's freedom. And he says, the problem and the reason why your kingdom failed is because you trusted too much in their freedom. And he says this, but now you have seen that, quote, these free men, the old man, this is the, the um, Grand Inquisitor, suddenly adds with a pensive smile, yes, this work has cost us dearly. He goes on looking sternly at them but we have finally finished this work in your name. For 1,500 years, we have been at pains over this freedom, but now it is finished, well finished. So the project of the Grand Inquisitor is to take away freedom. So this is a, a Christian right. saying freedom is actually really dangerous and problematic. And um, he's conquered by everybody is uh, obedient to the, the laws of the, the land, which is presumably the laws of God. Exactly. Okay. So we have overcome freedom and it's taken us 15 centuries to do that. And now you've come back and you're and you you're doing the exact same thing you did. He's he's accusing Christ of this, right? Um he says you want to go into the world and you are going empty-handed with some promise of freedom which they in their simplicity this is him speaking to Christ and innate lawlessness cannot even comprehend which they dread and fear. For nothing has ever been more insufferable for man and for human society than freedom, the Grand Inquisitor says. Okay, mm. So he's convinced that uh, the, the failure of Christ and the reason why the reign of Christ, the kingdom of God, has not taken is because Jesus' project failed and he made men free. So this is interesting because this is in Ivan. This is in Ivan's kind of psyche, right? He's kind of playing this out. And Alios is kind of listening and trying to kind of figure out what he's talking about, but He's hitting on something that's real here, um, which is to say there is a temptation in the Christian life to surrender our freedom, not in the way, not in, by means of self-gift or authentic surrender, but just to by requesting mental slavery, basically. Mm, yeah. Like enslaving ourselves to power and control and saying, I don't want to think anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to have the possibility of sin anymore. So just tell me everything to think tell me everything to do and it, I want the it. church to I do that follow. I'll do it and then I'm and then I'm going to be happy. Mm. And that's the whole the grand inquisitor's thing is like we took away their freedom so that we could give them happiness. And that's what he accuses Christ of failing to do. Mm. And w- would you say well I don't want to si- like si- oh, you're good. Go sidetrack yep. it but would you say that Ivan is celebrating a Jesus who's going to break that down? Is he expressing the same concern as the Inquisitor? Like, well, this is, people are weak, so they don't know how to use their freedom, and they really do need it ordered or else. I guess part of my question is, or my where my mind is going, is that Dostoevsky is living in the wake of the Bolshevik re- re- Revolution, and the the idea is to take care of people, that is, in some way, like a care for the poor kind of project, we need to control everybody, tell them what to do, tell them how they fit in this society, let society be the the most important principle, and let everybody sacrifice their freedom for the sake of a project. 
that is, you know, here you could translate into the kingdom of God or whatever this inquisitor wants. And, um, and there's this, this problem, though, that uh, this can never work because people are meant to be free and they're best when they're free. Um, do you think Dostoevsky is writing in his contemporary situation or is he more struggling with just his own sense of how to be religious and how to be free and what are the kind of what's the intention of what's the intention of Jesus? Yeah, I that's a great question. I don't know if I have a particularly good answer to it. I think that Ivan is seeing so Dostoevsky in Ivan is seeing something in the Christian life that leads to the kind of inquisition type world, right? And we're living in this in little ways right now, right? Tell me everything to do to be a good boy and tell me everything I need to think and who's orthodox and who's not. Just tell me who's good, who's bad, and yeah. then I don't have to think, I don't have to choose, I don't have to be free. Uh, and I think that there's something in 19th century uh, Christianity that is playing this out. I also think that Dostoevsky is critiquing Roman Catholicism because that's always there in the works. Yeah. he's. All, I mean, especially in The Idiot, it's a lot more pronounced, but he's always kind of going after that kind of Roman law temptation towards law yeah. uh, excessive law and, and kind of a legalism yeah. you know um well it, and literally the inquisition was a roman phenomenon right I, there have to be parallels in right. the orthodox world right but absolutely anyway the, char- yeah. the character is drawn yeah. from that so it's a it, so what the what the people say to the grand inquisitors save us from ourselves we hate ourselves and we hate our freedom so save us from ourselves and he's proposing a different way to salvation uh, and he's accusing Christ of giving them their freedom. The mystery of man's being is not only living, but in what one lives for. Without a firm idea of what he lives for, man cannot consent to live or will soon destroy himself than remain on earth, even if there is bread all around him. That is so, but what came of it? Instead of taking over man's freedom, you increased it for them all the more. Did you forget that peace and even death are dearer to man than free choice in the knowledge of good and evil? There is nothing more seductive for man than the freedom of his conscience, and there is nothing more tormenting either. So the question becomes, how is the Christian life, especially in an intensely Christian culture, lived in order to facilitate deeper freedom? And this was the question I was posing to the guys in the classroom, of like, freedom is a problem for man. And the temptation um, is to, well, the two temptations are, uh, two extremes would be to glorify freedom in a way that's untethered from any value, from any truth, you know, or any goodness, Uh which would be Nietzsche's option. But then there's this other side within Christian life. It's not the essence of Christianity. It's not truly Christian, but it, there's a temptation to say, "Yeah, take away our freedom." Yeah, voluntary slavery. Or exactly. Something. Just just tell me what to do, and uh, and then everything will be fine. And um, you know, I, I, he's saying a lot of different things in this. The heart of the the heart of the book is, I think, this line: um, "Everything is permitted." Like he's constantly come back. Ivan, Ivan, that's the cliff that Ivan is working from. Mm. So he sees Christ and he's fascinated with Christ and this freedom. But then there's this whole kind of Christian experience of like, but freedom is, we destroy ourselves with our freedom. So the Mm. Grand Inquisitor says we should take away freedom. And I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, 
there's a part of us that's looking for that grand inquisitor to come into my life and just save me from myself, take away everything, tell me what to do. Maybe it's a confessor or it's a homilist or it's I, we need to have a perfect pope or we need to f- unmask everything and figure everything out. And some guru on the internet, Catholic guru, needs to tell me everything I need to know about what it means to be actually orthodox. Like what These are, these are still like in yeah. the water and in the world that we're living in. Give me and a plan so I can follow. Give me a plan. How do I use my own creativity and right. freedom to... What about... Okay, so let me pose this, um, I don't know, situation. And you can tell me whether or not this is even relevant or if this is not fair to ask about. But I'm, I'm doing... I interact about marriage preparation and there's all these marriage kind of situations and questions. And one of them that comes up is you have a couple who are not um, are not practicing at all, or say one one is Catholic and one is not, and they come and um, they're just kind of exploring the question of what, what should we be married Catholic or not, or what would that take or what would that look like and everything. And there's this... Um, there's part of canon. Canon law says that if you're baptized Catholic, you need to get married Catholic, right? And if you don't, if you're say you're marrying outside of the church, you're making a statement of stepping out of the communion of the church, and you're excommunicating yourself. You can't receive communion anymore, and um, it, it's a formal act that that you're not you're not doing it. On the other hand, um, you have people who are not really living the Catholic lifestyle, and they may or may not, they, they might just be um, getting married to please their parents or family or to honor the tradition they came up with and everything. But it seems like they have very little intention to um, actually live the Catholic life. And they've certainly not like appropriated it for themselves. They don't know how to live it freely. But um, you then you have the pressures of like, well, but the law says that I need to do this. And I have people asking me, well, like how, how hard do I push my children, for example? Because if the law says they need to be married in the church, then shouldn't we just force them? And even against their own, like, I don't know, desire, they'll go through the steps and they'll get married that way because of the pressure. Um, is it is it better for them to to get married Catholic and then forget about you know just like because they'll stay within the communion and then whatever they just go on with their non-Catholic life or is it better to say no it's you're not it's going to be worse to make this promise before God and then to live a life contrary to that than than to do it just because it's a canon law obligation and because you know you would you would be feel compromised and feel bad not being married Catholic. Do you understand the yeah, yeah. the kind of because there's a there's a, a law that's set there mm-hmm. with an expectation for Catholics that um, also might you know you could do that and still not be living the catholic life right. and some people have the impression that well that's that's what it asked me to do so that's what i do and then i'm you know what i'm saying do you, do you see yeah absolutely kind of that, I, it's that a question huge question of yeah which one is better to exercise your freedom 
from the outside um, or is it to do it by obligation and then to be kind of find yourself within this sort of framework that you don't even know how to live right or do you you know so part of marriage prep is kind of like trying to educate them on like okay well this is what the Christian looks like as an adult and as a married person but you have to change a lot of your life and your, a lot of your choices and all of these things to be able to act in freedom. And a lot of times people think you're just shoehorning them into some kind of rule system. You know, don't use contraception. Don't, don't um, you know, be living together. Don't sleep together. Don't, all these things. And the point of which, though, is to try to give them freedom in the end but actually, there are a bunch of rules that are kind of given to us, moral, moral suggestions, laws, that are given to us for the sake of our freedom. So I guess part of the complication is just like the church necessarily has its system of, of rules. And you have to play by them. You know, you have to go to church every Sunday. You have to um, keep yourself from certain sin. And, um, and we all kind of um, cooperate within the same system. But at the same time, that's not the, the, the totality of our, like, what we're doing, what our purpose is. Like, there's an end toward, uh, toward the whole thing that involves the, the freedom of a person and requires the freedom of a person um, that can't just, um, yeah, kind of fulfill the, fulfill the rules mindlessly or without yeah. exercising the will. I, that's a lot about... No, it's good. It, trying any, to kind of... like that, that situation feels like it could fit into this. Yeah, it, I, it absolutely is. It's, a, it's in some ways like the most privileged moment for... We just talked about uh, nons, you know, like uh, Catholics disaffiliating from the church, like a lot of them, like half of them by, you know, are nons now by the age of 30. So we're we're hemorrhaging Catholics. Um, and what do you do in that setting? Do you just yeah. kind of hammer the rules more? Uh, and I think, I think we have to give them their freedom back, but we have to be really convinced that truth and freedom are not an either or they're a both and. Yeah. But without freedom, if they don't have, and I'm, and I'm not talking about like, I'm talking about like psychological freedom, not necessarily like untethered, uh, freedom, like disconnect, like you can do whatever you want. Yeah, and drop you get, all to, the you rules, get to decide, but the 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 feeling that you get to choose, and you you actually have to choose for yourself. Um, that's that's calling them into a maturity in faith because if they don't have freedom, they're never going to love, and if they don't love the faith, they're never going to practice the faith, especially in the hardening and hostile secular world we're living in. So I I think that there's a way you can sit down with people and say. Um, I've given I've obviously given my life to this, um, but I had to be free to choose it, and you need to be free to choose it. So don't yeah. do it because Grandma wants you to do it. Right? You don't. I always, I you always don't have to do this. Yeah, I always say I don't get paid on commission. Like, mm. like if I don't see you again, you know, best of luck. Like I'm not going to lose sleep over it. But if you want this, if you desire this, and you choose this, I will commit to you, and I will I will do everything I can to build you up to. to form you in the faith, to support your marriage, and to, to help you kind of as you begin this new life as a married couple. And I, I, I think that there's a lot of different ways to do that. Mm. It doesn't need to be that kind of clear or 
Well, uh, and I'm not going to try to strong arm you into this by citing the rules and trying to get guilt trip you into it. Like I honestly think sometimes I'm sitting in front of a couple and I say, maybe it's better for you not to yeah. get married in the church. And then down the line, hopefully, you know, with with the work of grace and your own free, freedom. Yeah. But, the, the, but when I see them squirming and hating it while they're getting into it, it's like, well, you obviously don't understand and you're not free. You don't feel free. And I think we need to help them get their freedom back because if they're in our office, there probably is some family pressure or whatever. And if they're not practicing, uh, and we have to, we have to help them be and free. And I, I see really good results from that. Not everybody, but a lot of them, they make way more gains, um, quickly because they're, they get invested in it. And it's, it's really beautiful when you see that the challenge that you're facing or that you're expressing is what they homilies of Elder Zosima then talk about a little further on. And I'll tap into this just for a few minutes and then we'll we'll uh, wrap it up. But what Zosima is saying as the kind of the wisdom figure is that you can give them psychological freedom, but that's not actually true moral, personal, religious freedom. Like they haven't arrived yet at it. But there's just that baseline kind of I have to do this. Yeah. And likely my spouse who's not Catholic or not big or doesn't want to do this and so I'm stuck. You know, that's usually kind of the situation. They feel really stuck. Um, and we have to help them kind of come out of that, but then open them up to a deeper kind of freedom. So Zosima begins his conversation by talking about freedom. And he's doing this from a purely theological perspective. So he's saying the world has proclaimed freedom, especially of late, but what what do we see in this freedom of theirs? Only slavery and suicide. So if, they, if you get them back to that initial psychological freedom, open them up, then what's going to happen? Well, then, then the work of educating in true freedom comes, which is by you got to convert. you got to convert your life. You have to change. You can't, you're not set up for an awesome, sweet marriage just doing everything that you want to do. Like, it's going to fail, you have to convert your life, and this is the essence of Christian marriage and of the Christian life, is converting and, be, and conforming yourself to Christ. So he says, we have to demonstrate for them how, left to our own devices, our freedom will turn into slavery. It's not just about emancipating ourselves from grandma's expectations that I get married in the church, but it's about something deeper that I will end up in slavery. And you and I, have, we felt that. That's why we're, we're, we're Christian, and we've been doing this for you know, uh, a lot of years now because we understand that we will enslave ourselves in the desires and the things that we pursue because uh, the ego is just so broken and fragile. And so Zosima says, taking freedom to mean the increase and prompt satisfaction of needs. Hear that again. That's totally our culture. Yeah. Taking freedom to mean the increase and prompt satisfaction of needs so I don't want to go to Mass on Sunday so I can ski more pow. I just want to be able to do whatever I want to do on Sundays, right? Yeah. Uh, or whatever it is. They distort their own nature, for they generate many meaningless and foolish desires, habits, and the most absurd fancies in themselves. Now, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to, for anybody to acknowledge. But yeah, the right. increase in satisfaction of my needs, understanding freedom as that, is absolutely a dead end. It's a, existentially, it's a dead mm. end. It, doesn't, it has nothing to do with... Faith. It's just you're gonna you're gonna end up in the cul-de-sac of 
your own cravings and desires and yearnings that are completely unfulfilled. And the more you try and fulfill them in yourself, the more that they become out of control. And um, Well, and this is part of the irony of this, these, a lot of the couples in front of me, is that they're... They're doing it. Maybe, maybe not as maybe not as the family pressure. It's just the fear. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to break the rule. You know. I don't. A fear of doing the wrong thing as a Catholic. Meanwhile, there's mortal sin all over the place, and they're giving into every passion that they have. You know. They're just living um, living a life of total license. And um, and kind of approaching the relationship that way too. It's this is fulfilling my needs, like my interests, my desires, or whatever. Yeah. And you have like this this disconnect between the two. That um, that yeah. Part of this is just like sorting that out. It's like well, no, you don't. God isn't going to hate you if you don't do this. But there's a, a better life if you can choose things. Like convert, you it means like choosing higher goods than your immediate desires, yeah. your your passions. Right? Yeah, it's it's a bit short sighted. If exercising we, your freedom, not right. just having something. Exactly, um, but until they have it, I don't know if they can exercise it. And it's so tricky because we're we're speaking on different levels here, you know. But I think we get really freaked out about like if I don't get them married in the church, then they're going to be in mortal sin, and then. They're going to go to hell, right. which, which, which is, that's a real thing. Like, but the thing is, they're in mortal sin, right, most of them. Right, so... And they're, they're going to be excommunicated, which isn't the same thing as going to hell. Right, but, and here's a great line from, that I, I love this, from Zosima. Uh, he says, brothers, do not be afraid of men's sin. Love man also in his sin, for this likeness of God's love is the height of love on earth. Love all of God's creation both the whole of it and every grain of sand. Love every leaf, every ray of God's light. Love animals, love plants, sounds like you. Love plants, love everything. If you love each thing, you will perceive the mystery of God in things. Mm. So that, that is a really powerful line of like, when we're meeting with that couple that's living together, they have their dog, they're wealthy, they're very comfortable, and the last thing they want is this kind of oppressive, restrictive faith that's going to impose for decades, especially if you're a non-committal millennial like we all are and we have to step into that and not be afraid of their sin that's what Zosim is telling yeah. us and I, I think that's really beautiful mm. but at the same sense we're not condoning and we're not kind of downplaying anything because the or a little earlier on he's got this beautiful line how do they come to freedom them and we and if we don't get to this point we're doing them a serious injustice he says obedience fasting and prayer are laughed at yet they alone constitute the way of real and true freedom. I cut away my superfluous and unnecessary needs. Through obedience, I humble and chasten my vain and proud will, and thereby, with God's help, attain freedom of spirit, and with that, spiritual rejoicing. Mm. Obedience, fasting, and prayer. He talks about how prayer is an education. Young man, do not forget to pray. Each time you pray, if you do so sincerely, there will be a, the flash of a new feeling in it, and a new thought as well, one that you did not know before, which will give you fresh courage, and you will understand that prayer is education. I think that Zosima's point is getting us back to the heart of the Christian life, which is not just external fulfillment of law, canon law, but getting down to the essence of how do you encounter God? Prayer, fasting, obedience. Hmm. This is where we're educated in freedom. 
And so a lot of the work is just turning the trajectory of their life back to Christ. It's not just about check the boxes and get married in the church. And I don't think you're doing that. I don't think I'm doing that. I think anybody who's really thinking deeply about this understands that this is the direction. But as Giassani says, it's a risk, right? Mm. He's got that great book, The Risk of Education. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge, it's a lot safer to just say, we need you to fill all the, just fill all the boxes. And I become like the grand inquisitor. Um, I'm going to take away your freedom and I'm going to give you uh, a conscience that's not tormented because you don't have to think about anything and we'll just kind of gloss over everything else. And that's, that's really dangerous. Um, I'm thinking of another example, I guess. I want to give my myself as an example because I hate to make it, you know, of these other these bad people out there or something like that, or these flawed people or something. But I'm thinking of um, fraternal groups. So we have these uh, priests, like uh, other priests. I have a group. We get together every other week and we uh, talk about our lives. And one part of that dynamic has been that sometimes it feels like an accountability structure that's just um, like I, I'll talk about it as personal trainers like you're going to help me because you're there and I have to be accountable to you I have to come and tell you how I'm doing with my prayer or with sin or whatever all this stuff um, that will have the effect of me doing it less you're you're the, the going to be the reason why Avoiding the shame of telling you that I haven't made any progress is going to be the the way that I kind of stay controlled in myself. And we're gonna I'm gonna call this um, I don't know spiritual growth conversion. I'm gonna sin less because you're there watching me, policing me, or something. And I resent that. I don't I don't like it. It's hard. Sometimes it kind of works, and sometimes I like that it kind of works that I feel like I have to manifest to these people, and so I really want to be better, and I'm going to try harder, or something like that. But in the end, it can be rather frustrating. And what I've found to be the most useful is when I'm loved in, that, in the sin. Yeah. Like I'm not making progress. We've been together for years now, and I don't know that I'm making much progress, and, and yet I'm still loved. And I think that can open up a space of like, okay, well, even if I don't get things right, it's uh, this this uh, love these brothers are not going away and it can give me a, a different kind of like i'm fighting against myself it gives me a space to just say well how would i approach things differently and how can i exercise my freedom in in a new way like what well, how do i want to grow instead of like what am i afraid of in myself and what am i asking someone to police me for you know um I don't know if that example. I think that's a great. It, it works for it's me. A, it's okay. a great example, and it's it, that is that example. I think needs to model how we approach anybody who grew up in the faith, but hits that critical point where they're like, "I don't feel free." And then, what do we? How do we? How do we help them come to freedom, which is a step towards coming to to love Christ, which is the goal, right? And I think this, and I'll conclude with this, um, this speaks to your experience in fraternal group, and it's one of the most powerful lines from the book. Um, Zofsama says, um, when you're faced with the, the problem of man's freedom, he says this, shall I take it by force or by humble love? Always resolve to take it by humble love. 
if, and this is where he overturns the Grand Inquisitor, if you so resolve once and for all, you will be able to overcome the whole world. A loving humility is a terrible power, the most powerful of all, nothing compares to it. So humble love is the answer to educating and inspiring people into freedom, which is what Jesus wants. He wants freedom. He wants free marriage prep couples. He wants free priests who are not given to the mental slavery of some kind of forced kind of requirements that they have to fulfill, but also not this this moral slavery of rejecting the truth of God, which is expressed in law. Um, and we take it by humble love. But uh, it's, again, it's a great risk. Mm. And uh, it allows people to mistreat us, to reject us, to reject Christ. Um, but I think it's, I think Zosima's got it. I think he, he gives the answer to Ivan's really complex and beautiful uh, proposal, which is questioning the Christian, do you believe in freedom? Do you believe? That's, that's what Ivan is asking. Mm. And uh, I think we have to just assert all the more we believe in freedom because Christ believes in our freedom. And he will provide for us that if we are made free, then we will not end up in slavery. And I, the more I come to know Jesus, the more I know his humble love, rather than his, like, kind of wielding the, the I don't know, kind of the police stick and trying to keep me in line. Um, there is, yeah. And, there's, and, and also, like, the freedom of... Um, conversion and spiritual growth you know sin is slavery and um not being in slavery is, is so so much better not mm-hmm. being in sin but it doesn't come from like just the you know self-policing can i ask this about um alyosha so zosima is teaching alyosha do you have an example that does does it play out with any example of alyosha being able to uh, meet someone in humble love and then watching them become free in the book. Or even Zosima with Alyosha. I, I can't, I, my sense is that Alyosha was never, um, I don't know, trapped or real sinful or something. Yeah, he just kind of lives it out. I think that, that could be a whole other great podcast, actually, of just kind of like how do these characters then deal with these themes mm. we've expressed. Um, right at the end of the book, there's a scene where Alyosha's dealing with children. It's a weird way to end the book, but I think there's something to it there. He's kind of failing in it mm. like um and ivan is a tragic character um dimitri they're all kind of struggling to understand what love is and how freedom works but it's a problem like freedom is a problem that we have to help people get to in christ yeah. um and it's not something we can shortcut or jettison so we better cut nice. it there because we're running okay. out of time so do you got any shout outs i do not feel free All right, I got a few. Uh, Scott Fowl in Boulder is a listener and a friend from my St. Tom's days, and I miss being up with you guys. I was helping at Sacred Heart of Mary for a bit last year. Scott Fowl? Scott Fowl. Oh, Scott Fowl. Yeah. Um, And then I heard the song, The Boys Are Back in Town. Do you know that song? Yeah, sure. By Thin Lizzy, and it always makes me think of Tim Poquette, my old buddy from college seminary. So Christine Poquette listens. I don't think Tim does, but shout out to the Poquette family. and then lastly, our friend J.D. Flynn just started a new Catholic media project focused on uh, serious and faithful journalism. And I think he's a great guide for committed and informed Catholics to understand what's happening in the church, the good, the bad, the ugly, but also in a way that doesn't just prescribe to us, this is what you are to think. I think that J.D. is a great 
St. Joe's, welcome to the Sixth Avenue. Yeah, um, sirens so in the check out uh, PillarCatholic.com again. Yeah, it's a, he's it's great. A new news uh, he's initiative. He's free. He's open and he's uh, he's wise. Yeah, I think he's got a good sense of what it means to be a Catholic and a Christian. I do have a shout out to uh, John Leindecker. Thank you Hey-o. for a very funny email and a recommendation of a podcast about the Nephilim yes. and Enoch that has turned out to be a delightful listen. This podcast is called Lord of the Spirits, the episode Land of Giants, and it's with these priests, Father Andrew, Stephen Damick, and Father Stephen DeYoung. And they get real technical into the, the language, the Hebrew and the nice. Ugaritic, and I love it. And John Leindecker is hilarious. So Yes, he is. What is up? All right. Well, thanks, Mikey. Good uh, double-double tonight. Thanks, man. And uh, we'll call it there. So catholicstuffpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you. Be free, people. Be free. Time.